Marilyn sent to an orphanage. So all their belongings are taken, including the piano. So yep. Marilyn then buys the piano back from an auction. And then guess what? In 1999, Mariah Carey purchases the piano from an auction. Of course she does. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's because they weren't going, no one was going to buy the piano for like a Marilyn Monroe museum. So Mariah said that she's going to make sure it stays in pristine condition for a future Marilyn Monroe museum. Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon and join either the ITBR student or the ITBR professor level. Both levels of membership have a seven-day free trial. With the ITBR professor level, you also not only get access to all of our video episodes, like listening or watching Scream Part 2, you also get access to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room and True Crime and Academia book clubs. The book clubs are going to each be a one-hour private Zoom. I'm hosting the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Mary to Pippi's hosting the True Crime and Academia ones. So with the ITBR professor level, you get access to all of our video and audio episodes, plus our book clubs. And make sure you download the Patreon app on your phone for such an accessible, easy-to-use way to consume our content. Okay, can't wait to see you all on Patreon. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. And before you hear such an exciting episode, I want to remind you all that when I'm not here hosting the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, I am running my small business, the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, where I am consulting with clients. It includes academic writing, consulting, social media, podcast, and expanding your media footprint. So I have clients I'm working on graduate school writing with them. I can work on thesis writing, dissertation writing, essay advice, college admission essays, undergrad uh, college advice, graduate school advice. I also am working on a client's small business right now and expanding her social media footprint. I can work on how to create a podcast with you or how to expand your podcast audience. I also can just help you expand your media footprint in general. So if you're interested in my consulting, I first want to let you all know it is only $30 for the first hour that I work with you on consulting, and then I'll set up a package with you then. So you can email me at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com, or you could go to our Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash ivorytowerboilerroom, and there's a consulting option under mem memberships. You can pay the $30, and then I will reach out to you right away, and we'll set up a consultation. And then while you're on our Patreon, make sure you join the Ivory Tower Boiler Room and the True Crime and Academia Book Club. Every month, both myself and Mary are choosing books for our book club members to read, and we are actually polling our members on Patreon to see what books they want to read, and we're meeting with them the first week of each month. So if you want to join um, the book club each month, just make sure that you join on Patreon. That way I know who's joined and I can reach out to all of you and let you know when we're meeting on Zoom. Okay. So lots of things to do here in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and I can't wait to consult with you, join you for a book club discussion, and 
have you here listening to one of our podcast episodes. Okay, enjoy this episode. And hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ivy Tower Boiler Room Rewatches Smash. We're on episode two, and we have Dr. Andrew Rimby here with us to be speaking about episode two of Smash. Andrew, what did you think about today's episode? Oh, my goodness. Well, it's called The Callback, and oh, yeah. I thought I was auditioning for this musical with how immersive everyone is in this episode. I'm like, am I on stage? Am I... Uh, you know, caught with my pants down because that's how I felt with all these characters. It's like everyone is, um, everyone is basically putting themselves out there, but also stepping in the muck, like the mucky mess of the Broadway industry. Um, or maybe almost everyone. I don't know. I guess we'll have to go through it, but I definitely um, felt exposed. I felt like I wasn't the emperor with no clothes, I was literally everyone calling me out and having my pants down around my ankles. So if that's oh, a nice visual oh. for everyone out there, I don't know why <laughs> my metaphor went there, but that's where my head is today. My goodness, yes, this episode was a lot. It had to do with a lot of, it's a lot of musical numbers, which I'm happy about. Um, and we it, it deals with a lot of disappointments in this episode as well. Yeah, and, and what, noticed. Yep. Yeah, and what you'll do to get to the top, I feel, is a big yes. theme in this episode. Yes. Yeah, a yeah. lot of these characters go through a lot of those. Well, one character in particular goes through that little moment. But we'll talk about her later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you were saying. Yes, and while I was rewatching it, we still what I didn't realize is that we have a cold open of Catherine McPhee's Karen singing at a bar at this sort of jazz bar thing. And I never realized how the be the beginning and the end are the same, except it's two different characters singing two different songs. And it's mm -hmm. one character feeling as if they need to be recognized and another character being recognized for a mm. part that she got. With Karen, That's it's the part that she wants. Yeah. And then with Ivy, it's the part that she gets. So it's, you know. Yeah, and one is a fantasy with Karen and one is exactly. actual reality. Mm -hmm. Like, because Karen is actually singing in the cafe that she works at. And then yep. almost a la Waitress the Musical is brought back to reality with that opening up in Waitress. Like where there's all like the customers. That's the... um after the prologue and waitress but it kind was of reminded waitress me on at yeah. this time no mm -hmm. it wasn't was it even conceived back then no i don't it think so okay yeah but That's maybe think about <laughs> someone from their creative team saw karen in the cafe maybe. um and they're like oh we Everyone should do something like, about huh, waitresses i could make that into a musical that looks interesting karen, but right karen is really that stereotype of she's an actress who's at a like works as a waitress. Um, and again, I don't even know, does Ivy work outside of, no, she's working as a um, ensemble member yep. for that mm -hmm. show where she is always in a glittery headdress or I don't know. She makes yes. a lot of mock, she mocks the musical in this episode. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I loved the daydream. I do think, though, 
I find it interesting the song choices that they do for oh, yes. covers because I don't always I, I feel like it's a that to me is the product of the 20 like 2011 and 12s is the songs they cover because they're so at odds with the new Marilyn Monroe songs yep right because what was Karen singing oh my god it was I'm trying to remember I need to I need to I know we can look it up but it was um it was something like very like was it country it felt very like twangy ish I just I can't remember what this I don't think it was country I think it was more like a pop rock something from like a current hit um which is my why maybe it feels stuck in the like 2011s because it's not a hit that we still remember um but okay so go ahead Christian I'll I'll figure out the song she sings you go right ahead and you figure that out but I wanted to ask if you remember seeing that many billboards for phantom on a block i i when um after that whole uh show montage moment we we get karen and her, we get ivy and her friends walking down the street in new york city and i was and i said to myself i've never noticed that many billboards for phantom when that was when phantom was running and that was at the majestic theater i said whoa I didn't notice that they had that many ad placements back then. I guess it takes it takes one to know one because it's like, wow, we take a lot of things for granted on 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 Broadways. <laughs> no, you're right. There was um what I like is they really show off Times Square and all the Broadway marquees. Like because of the premise of putting on a Broadway musical that they're really honing in on that aspect of Times Square. Right. Cause there's also so many advertisers like Broadway, I would say probably is 5% of the ads. If that yep. like you get all the watches and the hotels and um, coffee, right? Like everything um, is so immersive, but like to yeah. actually see the marquees displayed like that. That's what I love about this show is it really is, the Broadway, um, Broadway's biggest promoter is Smash. It is. And that's what I love about it because I think it was either in this or the first episode where we also see the um, the billboard of Wicked as well, which coincidentally is celebrating its 20th anniversary by the time this episode comes out. So. Yeah, and I can plug too that I'm organizing group tickets, more information to come yes. for St. Patrick's, um, all things March. Um, so it's taking me enough time too, but I will let everyone know how they can become part of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Wicked Excursion in March. And I'm even trying for an Emerald City uh, VIP experience. So more on that to come. Sign me up for that, please. Yeah, so start getting your hands on Gregory Maguire's books um, because that will be the book club choice. But okay, um, I know, but to think that Wicked is in its 20th anniversary, um, I saw can it. You, can you believe? <laughs> yeah, I saw it in 2004. No, or three. No, 2004, definitely. Because Kristen Chenoweth had left, but Adina Menzel was still in it. Um, so I still remember that. I think it was Jennifer Lara Thompson. She was Glinda. Um, I thought with Kristen and Adina. There's a story oh, about so exciting person. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to. <laughs> um, we'll have to have like a wicked... We'll definitely do a special Wicked um, episode to prepare for the um, 
excursion to Broadway. Oh, yes. But, but oh, I did find the uh, song that sung is um uh it is no this isn't right is it calm no there is call me it is call me right yes by blondie by blondie okay so it's not something from the 2000s but she i i don't know why but it's so oh yeah yeah, okay. but it wasn't the sped up like '80s version. It was very mellow. You're right, almost yep. like folksy. See, um, that's what... okay. So not a current hit, but they tried to <laughs> they re they did a rendition of it. Oh, and then um, Ivy sings "Crazy Dreams" by Carrie Underwood. Okay, that's a product of the 2011. Oh boy. <laughs> um. So, okay. Um. He sings in a very Broadway esque type of way yeah ivy yeah. does the end of the show she does okay so you know bring us to you know what's uh next on your roster christian well well after that i believe we get all these callbacks where we're back in the callback section we get some more time with karen and her mm-hmm. wanting to be i guess perfect in a way but she also doesn't want to be felt like the odd girl out when when these callbacks auditions are happening and on top of that she also, she's also dealing with her boyfriend who mm-hmm. needs her at a specific time and she wasn't able to get there because as we all know whenever you're doing a Broadway production things don't go as planned they always either end up you end up leaving later than planned and Sometimes some people get a little frustrated, <laughs> but it's weird because at the, but at the end of that, it's like, they just kiss and make up. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so this, this is a show where that happens. So. Well, and I also love how Marilyn's biography continues. Like we saw that building in the I first episode. I wonder was reading. Because I'm like, oh, I don't know which one that was. Because I have. Yeah, I'll have to ask Elizabeth Winder because <laughs> it was Ivy's reading a Marilyn Monroe biography that focuses mm-hmm. on Arthur Miller and um, Kazan. Yes. Um, Kazan, which I think Kazan was a. Um, Ilya Kazan. Ilya Kazan was a, in the Hollywood industry, I know that, yep. but was yep, a director? He directed, directed, yep, he directed uh, Re- a Rebel Without a Cause. Okay. Yep. So it's a later biography because yes. Arthur Miller is her last husband who then yep. she um, divorces. But mm-hmm. yeah, Rebel Without a Cause is like her claim to fame. Like everyone says you need to see that movie for, she uses the actor's method in Rebel Without a Cause because it's after yes. her time, Marilyn's time in um, Manhattan, which is Elizabeth Winder's book, Marilyn in Manhattan, yes. is all about, um, the actor's studio and the whole psychological method of actor's method and using types of Freudian psychoanalysis to get to that characterization. So they say that Marilyn really um, feels her way through Rebel Without a Cause from the actor's method. Okay, so. Uh, but yeah, we're, also, found, we're also plumped yeah, into a yeah. meeting with all the producers and the director and Angela, Angelica Houston, of course. And then- yeah we um we see little sneaky uh what was his name again 
Oh, Ellis. Ellis, yep. Ellis, and the uh, assistant. Houston's assistant, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're yeah. getting called yeah. out. That's what you're well, doing. I think even, even before that, I liked this moment where um, Tom and Julia talk about the structure of the musical because I thought it was oh a really God. meta moment. And I like highlighted structure of the musical. Oh, that's what I was going to say is I love how Marilyn's life is matching what Karen and Ivy are going through because yep. like if you notice this creative team and screenwriting team was so careful to make sure that whatever Karen and Ivy are facing has some kind of basis in Maryland's own dilemmas. So like yes. Karen needing to put herself front and center for this callback then disappoints her boyfriend who yep. you know should be cheering her on but he wants her to be there. So she kind of has to play this domestic role, like which Marilyn uh -huh. had to continue to try to please the men around her. Yeah. Um, and then we'll get to Ivy and the casting couch, which is another yeah. unfortunate aspect that Marilyn- Or is it the be. casting bed? I am here with the co-owner of one of my favorite stores here in Port Jefferson Village, New York. It is called The Soapbox. So Janine said, Andrew, I have these four products you need to get your hands on. It's called Four for Fall. So she's going to go over these four products. I know first you have a soap for me. What is the soap? I, do. I have a soap for you. It is called Apple Cider Shea Butter Soap. It's by a company called Greenwich Bay. And this is a great soap because you can use it for your hands or your body. And it has a delicious apple cider scent. And I think you're actually already familiar with it. Yes, it is Try in it. my shower. I still have it. It lasts a very long time. Yeah, great lather. The lather is wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's just so luxurious. And I love the scent into November. Yes. You know, this apple cider just it evokes so many cozy feelings. After the soap, we have something that you can add on to yes. in the shower. So what is this? This is a wonderful, wonderful um, exfoliating shower scrub. It is by a company called Primal Almonds, and it's a sugar whip shower scrub. And the scent is pumpkin spice. It's a moisturizing sugar scrub. So it's tiny little sugar granules. And it's something that you would use after you shower twice a week because you don't want to strip your skin of your natural um, oils and your your moisture, but it's wonderful. It just really exfoli exfoliates all that dead skin and leaves your skin very smooth and soft from all the, um, the sugar. So after I use the exfoliant right now, we need to moisturize. So yeah. I know you have a really nice fall body lotion for us. Absolutely. Um, this is just such a delicious scent. This is one of my favorites for fall. It is, the scent is Orchard Breeze. And it's by a company called Michelle Design Works. Um, this is another product that you can use hand or body, hand and body. Um, it's great. You can place it um, on your vanity, just a couple of pumps for your hands or use it on your entire body. But it's shea butter based. So it's extremely moisturizing. Um, it's, it's just wonderful. And the scent is just lovely. We need something more deep for our face. Everyone yes. wants face masks. And I know that you absolutely love this company and this brand. Yes. This is one of my favorite masks by one of my favorite companies that we carry and we support. The company is called Farmhouse Fresh and they're right out of Texas. The mask is called Splendid Dirt and it's a nutrient rich mud mask. Um, it consists of pumpkin puree and the benefits of this mask, uh, it's a pore minimizer, a radiance booster and a skin degunker. So it's an all around great mask. If you really want a boost of radiance, it brightens your skin and it really cleanses your pores. 
if they live on Long Island or near Long Island, you know, what is your address uh, for them to come into the store? We're located at 18 Chandler Square in Port Jefferson, New York, right in the village. Um, and if you can't make it, you have to come in because we just have so much fun stuff in here. So many wonderful products. Um, but if you can't make it in, please give us a call. We're more than happy to um, ship any of these wonderful, all any of these wonderful products to you. Um, uh, call us at 631-509-1424. You could always um, reach us on Instagram at the Soapbox NY, or you could always um, check us out on our website, Soapbox NY. Um, and yeah, there's so many ways to access yeah, your so products ways to reach us. And Janine is more than happy. And Mariana, the oh, other co-owner. My mom, actually. Yes. yes my mother. Are so willing to take your orders yes. via phone, via Instagram. And I can't wait for everyone else to enjoy these luxurious products. Imagine that you're riding the Turner Classic movie, Great Movie Ride, in Hollywood Studios. It's in the 1990s. As you're journeying through the Great Movie Ride, you pass the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West ascend into Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke and flames. Well, that's the memory I have with the Great Movie Ride in classic cinema when I was at Disney in the 1990s as a young boy. And ever since that, I was hooked on classic cinema. Well, my friend Christian Garcia, friend of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, has a podcast that you all are going to love. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema, and he looks at queer themes in classic cinema, like Vertigo, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, Hello Dolly, the list can go on and on and on. So follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. You can listen to his podcast on Apple and Spotify. And he also is on the premiere episode of our Queer as Folk podcast, where I'm re-watching every episode of Queer as Folk from 2000. And the episodes come out bi-weekly. So make sure you listen to his episode with me. And he's launching a rewatch show of Smash, where they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical. So he's going to be joined by co-hosts, a lot who are in the Broadway and theater industry, and I'm going to be on his first episode. So without further ado, get listening to that old gay classic cinema. Enjoy. Are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> Sorry, I had to, everyone. It's Dr. Andrew Rimby. Happy spooky season and gothic and horror. Just all the vibes. I am so excited to talk about Broadview Press, who you might know helps sponsor our podcast. They're an independent publisher in the humanities since 1985. Did you know they have so many horror novels that you need to get your hands on? They have Frankenstein, of course, by Mary Shelley. They have Dracula by Bram Stoker, one of my favorites. They have The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson, Edgar Allan Poe's Poetry and Tales. Oh, they just have so many gothic novels that you all need to soak your teeth into. Bob your teeth into <laughs> some kind of Halloween metaphor is appropriate there. They also have academic books like Dr. Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock's The Mad Scientist's Guide to Composition. So if you're a writing professor out there, you need to get your hands on that. And they also have a gift package called Mystery Horror Sensation, which if you don't know what to choose, 
just choose the Mystery Horror Sensation gift package. Just a reminder, you get 20% off on broadviewpress.com, link in our show notes. Just use the code Ivory Tower, all lowercase. Ivory Tower, 20% off all your books on broadviewpress.com, all of them. I can't wait for you all to hear our next Broadview Press guest. It's coming in November. And definitely when you buy one of their horror or gothic novels or books, just make sure you tag us on Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and tag them too at Broadview Press. I know they'll love to share it. Okay, everyone, be careful if you're reading in the dark. I don't want you to get too scared. Turn a light on. Bye, everyone. Yeah, well, the casting couch is the bed, I think. It's a it's a symbol for us, Christian, of yes. the wolves of Hollywood. Yes. These are the wolves. Um, okay, so, but I like how they, like, play around with where Let Me Be Your Star will be because that is such a real process in the musical yeah. industry of where does the music fit? And then I like Julia's rationale for, well, Let Me Be Your Star. We don't have to go through chronology. Like, it was kind of what we said in the pilot. Mm-hmm. It's in media race. It's in the middle of things. It's, um, you know, her reflecting on what's going to happen in her life. So I like that whole um, behind the scenes. And I love the staging of that in their mind, like what they were thinking of. It kind of Mm. reminds me the way that they're all the other, I guess, I guess you would say like other women or would you say like other uh, aspects of Marilyn are in like tiny little boxes and it kind of reminded me of Barbie in a way. Yeah. It actually kind of looks like the hairspray set. I don't know if you've ever seen hairspray, but they like had all these boxes in, um, uh, what was that song without love? Um, which Mark Shaman, you know, did the, And Scott Whitman did the music and lyrics for, but also it kind of looks like the telephone hour from Bye Bye Birdie. But uh, (laughs) so, um, no, I think you're right. I think it's, well, at first I think it's women's um, frustration with Marilyn, like how she gets portrayed, um, like kind of anonymous women jeering Marilyn and like putting her Mm -hmm. down for, um, her authentic self. But then I think you're right. It's almost as if every woman is a different uh, critique within Marilyn's psyche. And I like how Ivy and Karen switch in that song. And that rendition of Let Me Be Your Star is a much more um, psychologically nuanced one than the one at the end of episode one. Yes. There's lots of belts in this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're going for it. (laughs) <laughs> let me see oh yeah and there's like the women say your mother left you like they start to um put Marilyn down yeah based on um how women have failed her in her life mm-hmm. like it wasn't really the I don't remember anything about the men in her life it was kind of how women have uh set her up or like views she has about motherhood or womanhood or and I thought that was an interesting angle because her mom you know, was in a mental institution and there's like this whole history behind her mom throwing her off to neighbors and kind of being absent because of her mental health. Um, So yeah, I think it's building us up for when Bernadette Peters comes to be her mom. Oh boy. We're waiting for that. 
I know, I know. Okay, so yeah, I love that moment though. Oh, and Ellis, I know, is such a... Well, remember, this is what you warned us about, Christian. Ellis tries to claim that he... Um, and he says it again. Says... Oh, this I love seeing my idea put into motion. He says as he sees all the like, the um outline of the music numbers. Yep, it's like it's like not quite. Not, but Julia's not ready. Really. Like Julia's ready to um to hammer him. And I love put it. a legal uh, have a legal team seek him. Uh-huh. But she knows Tom though is very. I think he's not thinking with his mind. He's no. he's thinking with a male organ. One specific male organ. But <laughs> but if we could round back on Julia, she's also dealing with a lot this episode as well. Like there, she's having meetings with the adoption agency and with the uh, the um there's also a meeting that she um wants to go to for ado- adoptive parents that are in the process of adopting. Yeah, I mean. And I did find seems so keen on that aspect. <laughs> I did really like the um kind of balancing the difficulties of adoption with um you know the her, the creative process. Like again, mm-hmm. she's trying to um balance her relationship with her work life. Um and she's committed to this adoption process. Mm-hmm. Um, and her husband kind of has to meet her halfway. And like, literally, I like when he comes and joins her when she's reading the letter to her daughter and like, or potential adopted daughter in China. I have to say, the only thing I found odd about this storyline is that the son is very angry and it kind of came out of nowhere for me. I'm like, why is the son so, he's like, you told me I'd have a sibling. I'm like, what? I mean, if you look at it from his perspective, and we're going to go deep for a minute, but you know, if you're, if you've been a single kid your whole life and your parents want to have another child, it makes you feel as if you're expecting a Christmas present that's never coming or that's on, or that it's on delay. And I think that's kind of what uh, he was feeling at the time. And by the way, their patio looks gorgeous. I don't know who owns that patio, but it's like, I don't know how rich they are, but it's like, damn, <laughs> they must be really ready if they can get that beautiful patio. It's like, wow, I want that. <laughs> no, no, you're right. But um, no, I can see that perspective. I mean, I'm an only child and I um, have enjoyed being an only child. Um, but my parents have always like said, it would be nice if I had siblings, like, did I miss out on anything? And I'm like, no, like I loved my childhood and Mm -hmm. I don't know, for me, it's, it's not about like, I understand why he might be upset. I guess like, I just don't, we don't really know a lot about the son. So I thought like his, um, annoyance, um, came out of left field. Like, cause I didn't really, yeah. we don't know the backstory that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I, um, uh, I didn't say I was going to agree with every storyline, Christian. <laughs> um, but you don't have okay. to. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Um, 
So, oh, what did you think of Karen's dance rehearsal? Oh, that, you noticed that? I noticed again that one of the dancers was looking at the choreographer's ass. I was like, damn, okay, they're really going for it. <laughs> but that whole, that whole, let's do it again, let's do it again, let's do it again. It just reminded, took me back to rehearsals. And actually, I wanted to ask you if you've had any callback stories. Oh, yeah. If you want to share them, because I was thinking about it last night. I was like, damn, I've only had two callbacks in musical theater for myself. Yeah, callbacks are stressful. Um, I, well, the one that comes to my mind is uh, (laughs) where I was trying out for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, boy. um, I got a callback, but um, I do have to admit, it was at an age, like I was in high school. So like I was kind of too old to be the children and I was too young to be a parent. So I do the callback. They're like, we like you. Like, you. this is great. I think this was right after I had done um, with Renee Lisiaga. I had done uh, Smokey Joe's Cafe. I think so. But um, so then I just started to do a lot of different auditions for regional theater. And mm-hmm. um they're like, okay, we like you, um, but we're going to create a part for you. And I'm like, oh, what's the part? Um, and they were like, Veruca Salt's backup dancer. <laughs> Sorry. No part no. is, no what? part, like, no small part is too small. Like, you will hear that all the time. Um, but that was not the right part for me. Um, so, so I had to, like, gracefully back out of it. But sometimes, you know, you have to listen and appreciate. But I always say you don't have to, like, always, if it's not right for you, back out at the beginning and don't go through the whole rehearsal process. Like, that's not ethical. Like, if this doesn't speak to you, the director does not want you to go through with something that you're going to not be invested in. But Okay. Well, and then I had, like, the... um a callback story where I, um, this is when I went to do All Shook Up, but at this time it was a general callback. So like you had to do a, um, this is actually when Mary DePippi and I like reconnected again. Uh, this oh, was during wow. high school. Um, Cause she was doing a, a callback too. And like, I was like, oh, Mary, like I remember like us during main stage and like we went out for um, coffee during like, we had a break during the callbacks. It was a long, I'll have to ask Mary, but I think it was like five hours. I don't know. It felt long um, because we ought to do like the, we had to do a general callback. So it was like their whole summer season. You could be picked for any musical. It was like high school musical, all shook up. Maybe there was another one. Um, you didn't know what parts you were auditioning for. That made me nervous. Um, and then we all had to do the general dance call. So like everyone is, you know, learning it at the same time, then everyone goes into small groups and has to perform in front of the, um, you know, uh, creative and, yeah, creative team. Um, I knew the um, piano player because it was my vocal coach. He actually was the one who would think who told me about the callback. Um, So like the singing audition, I felt comfortable with. The dancing, I always, um, I enjoy dancing, but like, that always took me a little longer to learn the combination. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, 
So then I think what happened is we all like went on a break and then came back from the break and they said who made it to the next round. And then people like a la chorus line had to leave if they didn't make it to the next round. So then I made it. So I stayed. And then like there was another like two hours of callbacks. And then I think finally I figured I found out what show I was going to be on a week, a week after they told me I'd be in all shook up and I was in the ensemble and I was like, okay. And then they're like, and this is our first day of rehearsals. I'm like, okay. Yeah. It was nerve wracking, but, um, it was very, it felt very competitive. That's what I mean by nerve wracking. Um, so like, it was kind of like the Karen and Ivy situation where, um, Mm -hmm. like Karen sitting Ivy's sitting outside the uh, rehearsal room and she like has her friend spy, not spy, but her friend is like one of the um, ensemble dancers with Karen and Ivy's like, Oh, how did care? How did she do? And he's like, "Mm, not good. Remember it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I definitely feel like I'm supposed to not like Ivy in this episode. Hmm. I mean, she does come off as those prima donna leading ladies that we all see in high school. And it's kind of like, she gives off that kind of airy vibe about her in this episode where it's like, okay, I need to know everything you need, you know, about Karen Cartwright. What is it that you know about her so I can crush her? It's like, it's that type of, competitiveness that you were just talking about where uh, uh, Karen doesn't want any um, competitiveness where as Ivy, she's just like, I need to beat the competition. She doesn't want anyone for this role except herself. Yeah, well, and I think when Derek, the director keeps saying that Karen and everyone says she's so green, Mm -hmm. I think though that's what makes Derek really enjoy Karen's act like Karen's choices in the rehearsing rehearsing for Marilyn or the callback Mm -hmm. is that her greenness is also her not being so competitive or egotistical yeah Um, like he says Ivy's playing up this part like is really almost too invested and I agree I think sometimes to go into a callback my advice and again I want to go back into auditioning again but my advice is when you do a callback um, not to have a set role in your mind, like to free yourself of expectations because when you want it too badly, it actually, in my opinion, interferes with your acting and your choices. I yeah. agree. Yeah. But, and I, um, yeah. So what do you think of, um, you know, we'll go into it, but Eileen, because I feel that Eileen with her ex-husband, like all of their interactions, I love how Angelica Houston plays the producer. Oh, I love it. When she goes to speak to Derek at the, at this restaurant, which I need to figure out where this is, if it's a real restaurant, because it looks gorgeous and looks expensive. So, um, but it's, I, I just love her her vivacious air about her. Mm. It's just, it's something that that screams diva, but there's also humility within her as well. 
Yeah, I agree um, with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But and, her interactions with her ex-husband is just something that's he he's basically just taking everything away from her and she's just trying to piece together what little dignity dignity that she has left. And with true. that comes Michelle. Yeah. And do you feel like she's in in over her head because Derek kind of warns Eileen that she is like putting the cart before the horse. He's like, mm -hmm. you want to throw it to Broadway right away, but like we still have all of these other issues to work through. And Eileen's like, no, no, all the songs are good as they are. Like, we just need to get this going. We need our Marilyn. And I feel like she does put a lot of pressure on. Um, she does because she wants to get the a workshop done. She wants to get the heads of Broadway listening. She wants to have like this um, workshop with with other important Broadway people to 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 look at what they've created so far. But there's nothing that's created yet. So <laughs> it's like she wants to make something out of thin air, and there's nothing there yet. So she just has to be patient, which the workshop will come very soon. So. <laughs> No, no, I agree. Um, it, but I think we have to jump to it, which is, what did you think of, um, like, were you surprised that Ivy has sex with Derek? Oh, no. You know that they were eye-fucking each other from the moment that they saw each other? It wasn't, it, <laughs> I was not surprised by it at all. And, yeah. What did you think about it? <laughs> I mean, I am surprised because Derek seems like he's uninterested with Ivy. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where I really feel that Ivy is in such a precarious position because this is such a power differential here with the act with the director and then her as an actor that like it really seems as if she's doing it to secure the role of Marilyn. Like it doesn't seem like she's romantically invested, but he also I doesn't know. seem romantically invested. It seems no, almost like just, just a convenience. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. It just seems like convenient sex. Um, but it's like, I really I want the role that you're, that you're thinking of me for, and I'm going to prove it to you that I can do it. Yeah, well, but remember when they're in bed together and he's like, oh, you've been auditioning for me in bed as Marilyn. Like almost as if he's seeing her, even though he says he's joking, it's as if he sees her as the sex kit in Marilyn that was playing up her appearance for the male gaze in yep. throughout her films, um, that he's already cast Ivy in that bombshell glamorous sex kit in horny role for men like for mm -hmm. man men's consumption and this is where i just feel so scared for ivy because um even though she did consent to this yeah i'm worried for her because it already seems like he's manipulating the situation as the director mm -hmm. that she's going to be left in the dust not him
Hi, did I mention that it's spooky season? This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and guess what? I have so many Halloween and fall designs and crafts in my apartment. And guess what? There is a person who's made me so many Halloween horror fall themed items. And her name is Mandy Bengal. She owns Mandy Made It, a craft crochet company. So Mandy talked to me and said, Andrew, I want everyone out there to know that if they mention ITBR and that they heard my ad, that I will give them a free ITBR t-shirt. So make sure you mention ITBR. And order from Mandy crocheted pumpkins that she actually is using cinnamon sticks as the stem, which is a brilliant idea. How cozy. And also filling the pumpkins with potpourri. I already want to wrap myself in a blanket. She has Halloween keychains, other Halloween crochet designs. So how can you reach out to her? Go to her Facebook or Instagram at Mandy Made It. Reach out to her. She will ship items out to you. If you live in the South New Jersey, Philly area, she'll arrange to have you either pick it up or deliver it to you. So Mandy just makes such beautiful crocheted items. And I'm so happy that she supports the podcast. I've known Mandy since I was a child. We were in theater camp together. That's how I met Mary. So the three of us have known each other a long time. Okay, head over to Mandy Made It for your handmade crocheted items for this Halloween and fall. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm so excited to shout out the Gay and Lesbian Review, who is helping to sponsor the ITBR podcast. For all of you out there, the Gay and Lesbian Review is a bi-monthly magazine where you can discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture, and the GL Review publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and their popular art memo column. Each issue of the magazine brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme. For example, their September-October issue centers on the theme, Cracking the Closet. 
So starting the 19th century, a number of artists and writers found ways to crack the closet by expressing their sexuality between the lines or in the interstices of their work. For example, Ignacio Darnad, who is a friend of the ITBR podcast, he's been on our show, writes all about illustrator J.C. Leyendecker, whose work for Ivory Soap and Arrow Collars gave him plenty of opportunities to draw pictures of well-dressed and at times scantily dressed American men. And you also can find an article by Vernon Rosario, who has been on the podcast, and he talks about the quest for sex in the Middle Ages. So to subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe. So on their website, go all the way over to the right-hand side, and you'll see the button subscribe. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR50 because you're getting 50% off your subscription to the print or digital edition of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine. I can't wait for you all to have your copy of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine and make sure that you take a picture when your magazine arrives or when you're reading it online and tag the GL Review on Instagram and ITBR and we'll share it out in our stories. Enjoy your reading, everyone. Yeah, I can, I can see that because what Ivy does is that she uses this as a power tool for her, but it's also something that maybe she would want to hold against Derek as well. With the yeah. time ever comes to it, when they're, whenever you know, something bad happens, and she needs to have like a say that she, that she needs an understudy. Who is who is Derek going to go to? Oh, let's go with Karen, and then if Karen wins over the crowd of people then ivy's left in the dust and mm -hmm. that's what her biggest fear is which is what yes. you're <laughs> yeah so um no I'm, I'm concerned for ivy um yep. but i also really question derek here because um i mean he's such a charmer in a way but he's also tom thinks he's arrogant um like Derek comes off as both um, really confident, but mm -hmm. also unsure of himself. Like, I think he's somewhere in the middle. He's in this gray area. And I think we're supposed to see him as dashing, but dangerous. He's like the bad boy. But do you think that, that, that this ploy is overused where the ingenue was sleeping with the director so they could secure them apart? Do you think that's overused either in film or TV? I wanted to get your thoughts on that because it's yeah. it seems a little uh, overused in, in at this point. I mean, I think it's definitely realistic. Like we've seen all of the casting couch um stories from hollywood i mean marilyn warned of you know the wolves the like praying men mm -hmm. who um wanted sexual favors in return for her to get roles yeah like, this is not new at all but it's also right i do think that there is an ethical boundary like there's a difference in my opinion between a harvey weinstein and like sexually abusing women oh. yep and like women or even men too right they do it as well but mm -hmm. like 
you know, especially queer men um, in casting. But like, if you agree, you know, if you seduce the director, but also the director is willing to sleep with you, mm-hmm. like it's almost as if you're bartering with them, which is also using sex as a tool to get ahead, which I also don't think is ethical. Um, but I think we all look at like sex is, you know, I always want to see it in a romantic way, but sex is used as um, power in yeah. certain, you know, industries and isn't fair all the time. And someone might be getting more out of that experience than the other. Like, I think Ivy, I have to say, I feel like Ivy understands that for her to have sex with Derek, she is securing the role of Marilyn. But I also think she is starting to fall a little for him. And that's where I'm worried for her because I don't think Derek is that invested. No, he's just taking this as if it's just another... To quote from Golden Curls, another notch in his bedpost. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, like. Oh, sorry. That was Sex in the City. Whoops. Never mind. Oh, is it? Well, um, but I do think that um, it's interesting because, um, you know, the one who actually, you know, is it? Well, no, it's Derek, Eileen. Tom and Julia, like they have this very long meeting that Ellis keeps spying on to figure out who's going to be Marilyn. I don't think Derek, though, is the one who's really pushing for Ivy, even though he's been having sex with her. No, I think he's what I saw is that he was also pushing for Karen as well, because he wanted someone fresh, someone who doesn't who doesn't look like Marilyn but possesses her traits, her inner traits. And I think that's what's more important where you find someone who doesn't, who isn't an exact physical copy of Marilyn, but you have someone who's also been through the struggles that Marilyn has gone through or is seen to be from those homegrown, uh, down to earth type of people who, who rarely get the opportunity to just get that lead role. And I think that's what devastates Karen the most is that she put herself out there and she did all these callbacks and dance routines and it's just, it bit her in the ass. Yeah. But I also think that it does make sense from Tom's point of view. Mm-hmm. Like, am I really going to take a chance on someone who's never been on Broadway? True. Like, to put them in this lead role it might be um, overwhelming for them. Well, not even overwhelming for them, but it might be um, a death wish for the musical, like as a success. So I think it's a whole business decision. I mean, at the end of the day, we like to think that people um, are invested in raw talent, but they're looking at their bottom line and money and finances. Yep. And like, that's where Eileen's coming from. But Eileen... I don't know. That's what's interesting is she does care so much about the financial success, which she has to as the producer, but Mm -hmm. she really does believe Derek's judgment. So she's like, well, Derek, if you think Karen's the right one to go with, I, you know, am full uh, 
in full support of your decision here because you have such good judgment. So and Tom just wants Ivy because he he's basically her best friend. Yeah, way. well, and basically promised her, which yep. you should never you, you should never it's get like you go into a hospital and the doctor promises the the wife that her husband's gonna be okay when nope, he's dead on the he's dead on the table. <laughs> Wow, well, that took a more of a turn, Christian. Thanks Sorry, for that. Sorry, I've been watching a lot of New Amsterdam and Grey's Anatomy, so forgive me if I went a little morbid. <laughs> yeah, I feel like TikTok keeps recommending Grey's Anatomy videos to me, especially that one with Christina Ritchie when she has like her hand in the body and is like oh, holding oh, the, um, the bomb. bomb. The yeah, yeah. episode. Oh, boy. Okay, well, we'll have to do a whole Grey's Anatomy discussion, but um, oh, I love, though, how Eileen reacts when Derek says, oh, your husband, ex-husband, Jerry, reached out for me to come back to the My Fair Lady revival. Mm -hmm. um, and I told him to... Um, to shove it. Shove it. And she was like, you did? It was... I do love their relationship together, Derek and Eileen. But um, you know what's funny is that I thought that he was going to tell her that he had sex with Ivy. That's what oh. I thought that that yeah, was. Yeah, well, I think they're setting us up. Like, I wanted to like get this to you before you heard from anybody else, and I'm like, oh, I. Yeah. But then I remember well, it's a red herring. They're trying to set that us up in our mind. Uh -huh. Um, but were you surprised that Ivy, like that already? We have a decision supposedly, right? A supposed decision that Ivy's chosen as Marilyn. I. Rewatching it again, it kind of felt a little cheesy on my part because when when Tom goes over to her to her to, to um to her backstage um after she does her show Heaven on Earth, it just it feels like Tom in my opinion. I thought that he was lying to her because it felt like it was a very like you got the part you did it I'm like are you lying to her just so she can feel happy about herself I'm like is this because <laughs> that's what it felt like to me that he was just trying to butter her up and not you know just make her feel happy in the moment and but well and not until you sign a contract is that actually oh yeah secure Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, they can pull this part from Ivy any second uh -huh. if they want to. Yep. So, um, yeah. Oh, but did you notice when Julia was reading the adoption letter that the song Secondhand White Baby Grand was playing in the background? I did notice that. Like, so... That's a question I have, like, for Mark Shaman. I'll have to clip this out and, like, post it on our stories since Mark Shaman, you know, we follow him on social media. I'm mm -hmm. curious if him, if him and Scott Whitman, they must have known all the bombshell music numbers at the beginning of the series. Because, like, we get songs that aren't yet in the episodes, mm -hmm. like, as instrumentals. It's like they were planning ahead. Mm -hmm. without knowing what where to put these songs or how they were going to come out so I think they kind of did like a very like it's kind of like when you're preparing for when you're when you're filming a movie where they 
where they if it's if it's a musical then they then they record the songs first and then they film then then they film it's like mm. they do it in reverse um, that's true so i think that's kind of what they were doing where they where they made up all the songs they know the direction that they were going to go in but they weren't exactly sure how to map it out yet mm. yeah well um um like secondhand white baby grand is mm -hmm. all about um the baby grand's piano right yep. that marilyn um it's connected to her mother right i'm trying to remember i think so i'm not exactly sure i don't want to quote i'll look it up but um what's so interesting is there's a whole history like as we're seeing how um like this is going to be very inside baseball meta 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 which is as tom and julia the fictional characters are creating musical numbers for bombshell um scott whitman and mark shaman are creating the musical numbers for the tv show so it's like you have to think how did how did the creative team of smash decide when they were going to release which bombshell musical number right because in this one we have 20th century fox mambo yes you know, so like, why did you think that was the number chosen for the callback? Oh, well, also because they staged it, they they rehearsed it, they they uh, choreographed it without anyone's knowing. I guess they just wanted to feel for how it would look on stage, and I loved the direction that they took while while performing it. It's like you get a little bit of what they want the show to look like in their mind. It's like the same thing that we talked about in the pilot where we get a little bird's eye view of how they want the show to look like through the through the production designer's eyes and through the director's eyes and through everyone else's eyes that's actually viewing these musical numbers being performed. And then we have we have Catherine McPhee in a in a very very uh, tiny little wig. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just I just love the direction that they took with it and I and I think it was a good choice for them to actually um that that uh is one of my favorite musical scores um musical numbers from the show um because it's also a lot it deals with a lot of what Marilyn had to go through mm -hmm. they did it no, in I, I, great. I love that number um, well, and I love how it goes through like all the different studios that she works mm -hmm. with in the early days. Um, um, yes. And like how each had their own genre of mm -hmm. um, of uh, film musicals. Like yeah. 20th Century has like more um, the Mambo than um, MGM, had the MGM had the Great Waltz. The Waltz, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Warner Brothers had something else. I can't remember what it was. Um, well, at Paramount, they go ooh la la. Yeah. Uh, the Warner Brothers cha cha cha. cha, -cha. Yeah. Yeah. MGM, they had the Great Waltz. Uh -huh. um, LB Mayer loved his schmaltz. So um, such a good line. There we go. Very good job, <laughs> Scott Whitman and Mark Shaman. Um, but, well, and at the 20th Century Fox, I thought it's a tango. Is it a wango? Oh, no, no, no. The 20th century, <laughs> sorry. The 20th century foxtrot. It's yep. a foxtrot. It's a foxtrot. 
Yeah, yeah. but like the whole song is categorized as um as a mambo. As a mambo. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Which I think isn't a mambo just a mixture of music. It is. What is a mambo? I'm thinking of mambo number five. Do you remember that song? Yes. Yes, it yeah. is. Oh yeah, mambo is a genre of Cuban dance music. Yep. But it could have like a cha-cha-cha, a salsa. So it's like different types of dancing. Um, oh, I found the background about the baby Graham. You so did. In Marilyn Monroe's posthumous autobiography called My Story, she says this. One day a grand piano arrived at my home. It was out of condition. My mother had bought it secondhand. It was for me. I was going to be given piano lessons on it. It was a very important piano, despite being a little banged up. It belongs to the movie star Frederick Marsh. March, you'll play the piano over here by the windows, my mother said. And here on each side of the fireplace, there'll be a love seat and we can sit listening to you. As soon as I pay off a few other things, I'll get the love seats and we'll all sit in them at night and listen to you play the piano. I never forget the forgot the white painted house and its furniture. Years later, when I was beginning to earn some money from modeling, I started looking for the Frederick March piano. After about a year, I found it at an old auction room and bought it. Um, because when her mom was taken to the uh, Norwalk Mental Hospital, Marilyn sent to an orphanage. So all their belongings are taken, including the piano. So yep. Marilyn then buys the piano back from an auction. And then guess what? In 1999, Mariah Carey purchases the piano from an auction. Of course she does. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's because they weren't going, no one was going to buy the piano for like a Marilyn Monroe museum. So Mariah said that she's going to make sure it stays in pristine condition for a future Marilyn Monroe museum. I'm kind of curious, like why they haven't created a Marilyn Monroe museum. They, they need to. should. They really yeah. should. Yeah, I don't think one exists. So there's a pet project. Um, but yeah, so there's that backstory. Um, but I love that Julie is reading the adoption letter and you're hearing that song because it's all about um, Marilyn trying to find um, like that baby grand is a stand in for finding family, like her not having that motherly relationship she really needed, um, that she has to find alternative relationships. And, you know, Julia is going through an adoption process and like trying to have an alternative you know, family and find belonging. So it all kind of ties together. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, so I don't know. What else from the episode, Christian, did you feel like we need to cover? Hmm. You know, I think we covered it all. Um, yeah, I'm trying to look at my notes, like if there's anything we didn't talk about. Mm. Did we talk about? Unless you find something. That we well, just that Derek keeps saying that Ivy is trying too hard and he says Marilyn never tried too hard. Um, well, how about like that ending that you brought us, you know, we started the podcast episode with, which is that Ivy is singing a celebratory Carrie Underwood song. Like, do you oh, feel that already we should be set up for... Um, for failure set no. up for <laughs> well yeah failure but also that um the goalpost is going to move that we're already our expectations are going to change like oh she got the part but we know something's coming around the corner 
it, it kind of has that buildup where it seems too good to be true. And like, you know, you have, you have Ivy being so thankful for Tom for, for telling her that she got the part and she's, oh my God, I'm so happy. I'm going to cry. It's like, you know, <laughs> where it, there's something that always happens that, that knocks her back to reality. She's on this cloud nine feeling right now. And I think by the third episode that she gets knocked down a few pegs and she's brought back down to reality. Yeah, unfortunately, she's really That's what she be needs wrong. because this is getting way too cheesy for me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, we need a little more humdrum reality because yep. um, I can't handle all the optimism. No, no, no. Uh, but I am excited. <laughs> I do. What I do like about this show is like, unlike, um, unlike Queerest Folk or unlike, I feel like a lot of our TV shows right now, we can see a real arc in TV shows. Like you really know where each episode is going to lead you. Um, I really don't know where this is going. Like I remember, I mean, I remember a little about where it's, heads but i haven't like watched ahead like christian knows i watch everything like the day before or like a few hours before just to keep it fresh but i just love it i'm like what's gonna happen next i have i literally don't know they don't really this one uh, ends on kind of this one ends on like a, a sort of hopeful cliffhanger where it's it's just it ends on a too hopeful note for me and it's yeah. It's like, yes, it's a happy ending and everyone gets what they want. And it's, you know, you save that for the finale. You don't put that in for the second episode, you know? <laughs> well, that's how we know that um, we're being misguided because this would not be the second so. episode's ending. No. Um, like, this is not where the series is ending. No. Um, you know, we still have Catherine McPhee signed a contract. So yeah. where's Karen? Uh, you know. But yeah, this was so fun. I can't wait for episode three, Christian. And I yeah. think we're going to be bringing on a guest, another guest. Yes, I hope so. Goodness, not that anyone is tired of listening to both of us talk about it, but you no. know, it would be I mean, we could keep going and going and going, but it's fun. It's fun we to bring like other people with, you know, theater stories. Exactly. So they could yeah. give us their two cents on what yeah. it's like behind the scenes, behind the behind the curtain. Yeah. But know. the things that Ivy does with Derek definitely exists in theater. I mean, have you? Ever I heard stories. That? No, I didn't. I didn't experience have you, have it. Have you ever like? Have you? Have you ever had friends in the theater industry that have been through Ivy's position? Oh yeah. I mean. Home? I would say I didn't really know about directors having sexual relations with cast members, but I would hear a lot about cast members having sex with each oh, other. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> or and like you know, you know how there's there's party, always you know that happens. <laughs> well, and there's always that stereotype that like the leading actors are gonna fall in love with each other. And then a lot of times they oh. do start dating. I know, which is like so annoying because you know that that's not gonna last usually and it's all about connecting to each other as characters and like uh -huh. i just think it's a heightened hormonal level of oxy 
oxytocin and like the cuddling emotion they're experiencing. So they kind of just need some time away from each Uh other. But my goodness. Yeah. But in terms of like that kind of nothing that blatant. um, And again, like this is dramatized. So we're kind of seeing things heightened. Um, But yeah, so I can't wait for this again. And I think that, um, you know, for me to be back again, Christian. This is so yeah. fun. I love like chatting about Smash with you. Um, right. And also, how can they, um, like anyone listening out there, if they want to be a guest uh, co-host, like to recap one of these episodes, you know, how can oh. they reach out to you? Well, they'd be more than happy to reach out to me via Instagram at uh, bookaholic underscore 2021 or at my podcast uh, Instagram as well at that Oge Classic Cinema. And you can also message Andrew as well at Ivory Tower Boiler Room or his personal Instagram as well, which is uh, Dr. Andrew Rimby or is it just Andrew Rimby? It's uh, Andrew David Rimby. Okay, there we go. Yeah, with my middle name. Getting yeah, it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're good. Um, so thank you all for listening. I can't wait for next time. And Christian, always a pleasure and a blast and sharing all things Broadway uh nostalgia um yes we're gonna get a lot more nostalgia in the in next episode as well i believe so yeah yeah, and i have to say christian borrell does make me so he does such a good job of making me annoyed with tom tom is definitely the (laughs) one the thing is i should be more i should be more annoyed with derek and him pushing the boundaries with ivy but i I find that tom's Tom has like an arrogance also about him, but his arrogance kind of puts me off more than Derek. I don't know why. Yep. Yep. Like maybe because Tom, I know what he wants to do with Ellis and it's just, um, yeah, he, and I think Tom thinks he knows more than he does. And I never like that in a person. He, he has that arrogant sense of, oh, I know better than all of you. So I'm just going to do what I want and no one's going to say no to me. He has that sort of like, yeah, he has that mentality that annoys me as well that I felt his character annoyed me this episode a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, but I really do like Julia's character. I find like so far, I'm most interested and invested in like Deborah Messing and Eileen. I have to say, Julia, Eileen, Karen and Ivy, I'm kind of split. I'm not yet like on a side. I think because there's like things in Karen that kind of frustrate me. Um, like her naiveness. Like she is a little too green for me, but also Ivy's on the opposite spectrum. So I'm kind of waiting for them to like come together in the middle ground, which I think does happen eventually. They start to... um absorb traits from each other mm-hmm. uh, but yeah okay so <laughs> a little after show talk okay well thanks christian and i'm thank you, you know hope, yeah i love that you're hosting this and thanks for everyone out there okay until next time Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. I want to thank you so much for listening to the ITBR and TCIA episodes. Make sure if you don't follow, rate, and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you follow ITBR on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and TCIA on TikTok and Instagram. 
at True Crime and Academia. Also, we have a brand new Patreon membership system. So I just want to explain it to you all quickly. So if you want to become an ITBR student, it is $5 a month. You get ad-free ITBR and TCIA episodes and video interviews. If you want to become an ITBR professor for $10 a month, you get all of those ad-free benefits, but you also get access to both the ITBR and TCIA book clubs. You can join both book clubs, get ad-free episodes, plus you're going to get all of our extra video episodes. So I am re-watching Queer as Folk. Christian Garcia from That Old Gay Classic Cinema is joining us, and he's re-watching Smash. Um, Mary is going to start to re-watch shows as well. You even get access to what I'm calling the ITBR teaches. So if I'm recapping a movie or a TV show, including Barbie, um, Halloween movies and horror films, you get access to that as well. And then I also am offering consultation services. So for $30, you get your first initial consultation with me. It's a one hour private Zoom. I will help create a, your podcast, your media brand. How do you navigate academia as an undergrad or a grad student? Do you need help with technology? It could be teaching tools, Spotify for podcasters, video editor so software. Do you want to expand your social media presence as an artist, writer, podcaster, or academic? Do you want help on how to create a public humanities identity like I've created for myself? So I now I'm offering that consultation service. You can find more info about it on Patreon. And you also can join our book clubs. If you want to just join the ITBR book club or the TCIA book club, you can do that for $4 a month. Patreon.com backslash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Thanks to the team, Mary DePippi, our chief contributor. And thank you to our two new interns from Stony Brook University, Jonathan and Sarah. Bye, everyone. Until next time.